the name of my book is Start Finishing. This project has always been Start Finishing. And so right as I'm going to market, John A. Cuff is published by the publisher I was going to, like I had been working with to do this project. Um, and I was like, oh man, like, why do I need to write the book again? Like, who cares? Like he's, he's written it. But this time, um, and this is not disrespect to Cal Newport either, but like, I was like, I'm not getting deep worked again. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I am joined by Charlie Gilkey, a good friend of mine. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, a company that helps professional creatives, leaders, and change makers take meaningful action on work that matters. He's the author of The Small Business Lifecycle and is widely cited in outlets such as Inc., Time, Forbes, and The Guardian, Lifehacker, and more. And he's also an Army veteran and near PhD in philosophy. You can find out more about him at ProductiveFlourishing.com. I'm going to have links in the show notes. You're probably already looking at them already, but there's so much that Charlie and I can get into every time we chat. Uh, we're, we've been friends for a number of years. His new book is called Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. This is a, this is a fantastic book. I'm, I'm so happy that uh, I, I got to contribute to it a little bit, which is great, but I really, really enjoyed this book, and I really enjoyed this conversation. We get into the idea of finishing. We Right off the top, you heard like you know, the idea of him finishing this project. And we get into that. We get into the thrash. We get into all of the elements that Charlie believes you need to start finishing. So let's get on with it. We've gotten started. Now let's get to the finish line. Here's my conversation with Charlie Gilkey here on the Productivity is Podcast. And stick around, by the way, during this episode. And you're going to get a new segment that I've put together, a little concoction that I call the Productivity is Podcast pick of the week. So stick around for that. But now, on with the show. I'd like to welcome Charlie Gilkey to the Productivityist Podcast. Charlie, thanks for joining me today. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Every conversation that we get into is just so much fun. And so, yeah, thanks for having me. Again, we we kind of we were sitting here as we started the conversation and uh, just got on the on, on Skype and started chatting and, and we start going. I'm like, we should probably record this now. Like we should probably get started because <laughs> there's some gold that we, in them, their hills. Uh, yeah. You got a new book, Start Finishing. Uh, how to go from idea to done. And uh, I'm excited for you for this. This is awesome because, I mean, this has been a long time coming, right? It's been a really long time coming, right? And Mike, you know the deal. Sometimes people will ask you, like, how long did it take you to write the book? And it's like, it depends on the question that you're asking here because it could be four months or it could be 12 years, right? Uh, Because so much of what's in the book is um, it incorporates what's already on the blog at Productive Flourishing. It recasts that, it weaves it into a different thing. And I think the beauty of a book is that you have a coherent start, middle, and end. And it's a way to introduce people to the work. And so I'm super excited about it, but I'm also really excited because we have um, some contributors who added to the book. And you're one of them, Mike. You added in the piece about, you know, Night Owl Productivity, which I really appreciate. And so, yeah, long time coming. Um, and it feels really good because I've, I feel like um, it was made in a way that's really resonant with the way that I like to create work. So let's get into something that we were talking about just before we hit the record button. And as we're recording this interview, uh, we're literally uh, what a week away from the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, uh, mm-hmm. June June 20th, which is ironically World Productivity Day, uh, which is <laughs> one of those days of the year thing. And the reason that it's World Productivity Day, you would think, it's like, wait a minute, it's the summer. That seems silly, but it's because it's the longest day of the year, right? So let's, can, I want to talk a little bit about the, the 
the idea of uh, new starts, finishing strong, all that stuff. But real in relation to the calendar per se, we you know a lot of people will say that the summertime is a slow period. But you and I were just chatting about the opportunities that are coming our way during this period of time. Why? Why do you think that is? I think it's because we change perspective. And so when people say it's slow, um, in my experience, what they're saying is the pace of work changes. So it's slow. But in my way of thinking about things, everything that takes time, energy and attention is a project. And when you think about it that way, you know, you were talking about Colton being home for the summer. There are all sorts of new projects you're going to have because you have your son home, right? That you didn't have two weeks ago that probably wasn't on any planner. Like, hey, spend time with Colton. Like, wasn't there then, but it's going to be there tomorrow, right? And summer trips, um, vacations, weddings, graduations, all those things that happen, those are projects. But we normally don't think about them that way because in my experience, again, and I know people have different experiences on this, but we use project for like professional things. And then we have our sort of other stuff that we do. So we have work that's a project and life that's something else. Um, but I am taking the perspective, much like David Allen does in making it all work, that when we make it all one universal sort of language and we think about it that way, you'll really see that for many people, summer is the busiest time of the year, right? Kids are home, trips, they're trying to squeeze in work. Um, and, you know, I'm from the South. And so I don't care what people say. Summer starts in Memorial Day. Like, I don't care about the longest day, but year, but psychographically, energetically, I start slowing down. I don't want to work the same amount of time. I like nine to three is a really good day, right? If I'm at, if it's like five 30 or six, I'm really mad. But in the winter, I don't care so much, right? It's dark outside at four, four o'clock anyways, who cares? Right. Um, and so all these shifts start happening. So on the one hand, in the season, you have a shift in perspective from maybe the pace of work to the pace of life added to that work. You have changes in our affinities to the season that may add some time, may take some time, energy, and attention. And so all of that can make for summer to be um, this really transitionary period that on the one hand is like things are slower. And I've also seen a lot of, a lot of folks, especially creative folks, feel like I'm still so far behind, even though things are slow. I want to talk about pace because I think that's an important thing to, to dive into, especially when you're talking about starting to finish, right? The finishing mm -hmm. is, um, some people, they start with a, with a flourish. I'm going to use your, uh, your, yes. <laughs> they start with a flourish and then they, they, you know, the finishing just, it, it kind of peters out. Um, how important is pacing when it comes to productivity? I'm very opinionated about this. And Mike, you might know in any conversation where I say I'm very opinionated it means that I have a strong stance on it and that I recognize that there are different opinions on this. But what I've found in my own work, working with clients and in a lot of podcasts is actually pacing, especially consistent pace, is one of those secret tricks of productivity. It's not, it's not um, sexy at all. Um, but when you look at the long game of doing your best work, a consistent pace that doesn't necessarily have fits and starts can be a great way to go because think about it from just a project momentum perspective. Um, you know, a project in motion stays in motion, right? A project at rest stays at rest. Every time you let go of that project and have to start it up and stop it again, that's like this wasted energy that you put to it. Now, that's a caveat for most people and most times. Um, a consistent pace, think of a marathon more than a sprint, is the way to go. However, there are some projects that 
a sprint mindset and a not sustainable pace is actually a far better way to go. And I found that for those, um, the more afraid of the project you are, um, the more your head trash is about to get the best of you. Sometimes those are the best projects to do a sprint because you might push just hard enough that you outrun your fears, you outrun your head trash and actually produce the work that you can do rather than collapsing into like, you know, every day you, you do two hours of work, but you do three hours of fretting and, and thinking and analysis and, you know, worry. And then the next day you do two hours of work and then you got three hours of fretting. Sometimes it's better to do five hours of work or eight hours of work and not have that fretting time. So, um, I think with productivity and, and this is where you and I might can get in trouble because on the one hand, we want to give people sort of general frameworks that they can use and say, try this, this works for a lot of people, but the trail trick and the, the trail trick like that, the real trick is figuring out what works for you in the right context for the right projects in the right time of year. Right. And that's a lot of variables I know, but that's, you know, um, if you're not approaching productivity as a lifelong learning experiment, um, I, I encourage you to do so cause you might find a lot more peace, a lot more, um, a lot more momentum and a lot more joy in the work itself. So I'm going to bring up an interesting analogy as, as you're talking about the idea of, of the sprint and the pace and, and attention. Cause you talked about attention and I'm a big believer, you know, productivity for me is intention plus attention, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, on our street, we have, we're on, we're on a fairly busy residential street, mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of cyclists like Portland. Victoria is mm -hmm. becoming a big cycling. In fact, it's the cycling capital of Canada. We've got people that are on bikes first thing in the morning that are biking and they're coming from the side streets and they don't stop on the side streets and they just turn onto the main street, not noticing. And there's parked cars and there's cars coming so because they don't want to lose momentum. And that's why cyclists don't stop generally. They're like, oh, why should I? I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I don't see anything, blah, 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 which is, again, they're breaking traffic laws, no question. I, I, I wonder if when people are trying to keep the momentum of a project going, how much of their other stuff, their blind spots, the things that they have been paying attention to, uh, how, how do they keep themselves from ha getting run over by those other things when they're trying to keep momentum going. How do you recommend people do that? So the hard way, sorry, let me put it this way. The simple way that's hard to do is to be super intentional about the projects you're carrying in the first place, right? I like to talk about the five projects rule, which in the long nerdy way of saying that is no more than five active projects at any given time perspective. So no more than five projects for this week. No more than five pro month size projects, no more than five month size projects for this month, no more than five projects, because that allows you enough time to focus on it. And whatever parts of your mind and psyche are holding on to those other projects, it doesn't have to hold on to the relationship between 82 different projects. It's just like, OK, there are a few more cars coming down the road behind that. I can keep up with that. Um, so I would say that when you're on that sort of consistent productivity pathway that we talked about. It really is about touching those projects frequently enough that you're staying fresh with them. You know what's going on. Um, to use your analogy, you're looking at the sides of the crosswalk before before you, you ride on. Um, I think when people do adopt a sprint mindset, they often under account for the fact that once they're done with that sprint, life is going to creep back in. And all the things you haven't been doing during that period of time, they're going to rear their ugly head and remind you. <laughs> that, you know, about those types of things. And so I think, you know, people are like, I'm going to do a one week sprint. Usually what I tell them is, okay, you got one week sprint. 
you got one week of makeup time following that one week sprint because everything else you pushed out for that week is going to come back. And if you assume that you're going to do a one week sprint and then the next week all your projects are going to be where they where they should be and things are going to be stable, like you're setting yourself up for failure, right? And so um, I mean, I realize I'm answering two questions here, right? Uh, how to adapt to the sprint, but um, I think. There's a discernment, and this is one of those things, Mike. You know, as you write a book, like some things don't make the cut. Um, and I had a big, I had a big section about the ways we can label projects. And when I said earlier, active projects, that actually references a framework that didn't make it, but it still people can get it, so it's not that big of a deal. But I think we assume that all the projects we're thinking about are active projects, and that overwhelms us, right? But when you start thinking like, okay, I'm thinking about a bunch of different projects, but I've only got three active projects right now, the ones that are on your literal or metaphorical desktop, right, that you're working on. It gives you some peace because as those other ideas come up for these other projects, you could drop it into a file, you can drop it into a sauna, you can drop it wherever you drop your stuff, right? But not think that, oh, I got to jump and do that project right now. You don't have to activate that project. You just have to annotate that project. There's a big difference. Um, and so, so when I talk about the five projects rule, that's what I'm talking about. It's really active projects, things, you know, that you would write in. There's one other sort of trick here is that it does us no good to write down all the projects we're not going to do in the sense on, on our daily to-do list or on a weekly to-do list, right? You're just not going to do it and you're going to use it as a tool to beat yourself up. Like I would much rather people make a list of the three things you're going to do that day and do those three things and be done with it. Um, and maybe you have some bonus tasks. Maybe you finish those three projects and you look over to that inactive project and say, oh, maybe I could push that a little bit. But, you know, sometimes it gets super granular, Mike, as you know, of like just looking at people's to-do list and saying, you've got 22 things on there and you've got two available hours. How is that going to happen? <laughs> right? Um, and really getting real with yourself because I think, you know, as we talk about the pillars of productivity, one of mine is self-compassion. And I know we normally we normally don't take that perspective because you know as productivity guys, but I think when you create the plans, you create the list, you create the expectations that are somewhere close to human, you can find that ability to be compassionate to yourself and celebrate the work that you've done, but also not assume that you're this supermensch that can do all the things and carry that with you at the end of the day. That does no one any good, including yourself. So reining it back in is not just a, a reining your expectations of the projects you're going to do. It's not just a key to productivity, but it's really one of those tools for self-compassion and good and living the good life that I think is important to learn. Let's, I want to circle back to the idea of, of the life projects, right? Like mm -hmm. those things, because I agree with you. I don't think that people take those into account. They just, those almost seem rote, but they're not right. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that you and I do not different, we approach it differently. You and I are really good in that we can both talk about the same thing and yet take different angles and come to the same conclusion. So for example, mm -hmm. when I talk about projects, I talk about breaking down a project to its smallest particles. I don't even focus on the project in terms of the largest sense. I say, are you sh like, what does the, what is, what makes up this project? I know you do something similar to that, but how do you, so when people are thinking about projects and finishing projects, starting them, like, why do you think that people have, why do you think that the start is so much more appealing 
than the finish. Do you know what I mean? Like in, in when you're looking at it from, again, that that to-do list functionality of saying, hey, wow, look at all these things I have to do. Uh, I'm going to get started on that. I'm going to get started on that. I'm going to get started on that. But then there's the other things that are sitting there going, they've been languishing there, lingering there to the point where they either may not um, be as viable as they once were, or they're not as sexy as they once were. So can we, let's dig into that a little bit. And, and especially in relation to um, those life projects that you're not even taking into account per se. Precisely. Thanks for that. Um, so I need to talk about something as a setup before I can go into answering that question directly. So let's talk about thrashing and thrashing is what the term I use for that meta work, that flailing, that emotional gymnastics that you do around projects um, that don't actually push the project forward, but as a part of the process. Now, the thing about it is the more something matters to you, the more you will thrash. Very few of us thrash about taking out the garbage, right? Very few of us thrash about doing the dishes. Like there are a bunch of rote things. We just do it or we don't do it. There's not a whole mini existential crisis about it, right? We just do it or we don't. Those are technically projects, Right. Those are technically projects, but there are certain kind of projects. I call them best work projects that really go into work that really, really matters to you. Like the work you're meant to do here where you find flow and joy and service and meaning and all those things. Right. What I'll say about making all projects projects um, is that on the one hand, when you really think about it, um, I know as I've worked with people, they feel really overwhelmed because they really start thinking about all the things like, wow, it's all projects, my life, and like the universe is sitting on my chest, and I can't breathe. And I'm like, that same truth was existent before we had this conversation. Nothing has changed except for the way that you're looking at it. Now that we know this, what of those projects can we let go? What of those matter? What can you just be acceptably mediocre at and not, you know, try to pretend that you're going to be epic at that? Like we can make better choices when we make everything projects than when we have, well, we have these work projects i.e. projects that make me money, i.e. projects that if I don't do, I'm going to get fired and be ashamed and feel stupid versus these life projects that are like, oh, that'll be good to get to at some point, right? Um, and so, yeah, that, that's one of the advantages once you get over that, oh, God, like everything's a project. So that closet of doom that you have, like we all have some version of the closet of doom, I think, right? Where you put stuff in there, you keep meaning to get to it, you keep meaning to clean it out. It never makes the triage. It never makes the cut. There's no good day to clean out that that closet, whether it's a, you know, that closet is a virtual folder or whether it's a real closet or your garage or your, your mom's house, whatever that is, right? Cleaning out that closet is a project. Um, it's going to take time, energy, and attention. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to get rid of a bunch of stuff, right? It's an emotional journey. All those types of things that are important about that. Now, um. What I want to push back a little bit, or at least add a different perspective, is I know a lot of super smart, compassionate people actually have problems starting projects. So the start is not easy for them, right? Um, and we all have different ways in which we thrash in projects. Some of us thrash in the middle, or excuse me, at the beginning, like, am I really the person to do this? Am I good enough? And I'm talking about a certain type of project. We don't do this. We're taking the trash out, right? Um some of us thrash in the middle when it gets hard, right? And the plan goes sideways and we can't remember why we started and, and where we're going. And some of us thrash at the end. And some of us are just masters and we just thrash throughout the whole way and just, you know, are on a flailathon. But what I will say is that to answer your question about the people who like to start projects but not finish them is like when you start a project, all of the... I like to call them dragons, but all of the obstacles, all of the challenges, all of the setbacks, all of the difficulties normally are not right in front of you. 
by the time you get to the middle of a project, and especially the more that it matters to you, the more you're dealing with that stuff. Is this the right choice? Am I doing this right? Am I going to be able to pull this off? Oh God, I'm three months behind. Does that tell me like anything useful? Whatever that is. What we do is we sort of hear the siren call of a new project. And we're like, oh, that one's going to be easier. I've got to figure it. I'm just going to jump to do that one because it's going to be great. And then I don't have to deal with this creative mess that I've created for myself. And maybe that one will inspire me to come back to this one. And maybe, maybe. So we jump to that new project. And what I've experienced working with folks is in about the same spot for about the same reasons, you start thrashing in that new project too. Right. It's not like you choose a new project and everything that you were challenged by in your current project just goes away. Like if you're terrible at time management in this project, guess what? You're going to be terrible at time management for the next project. If you have a hard if you're doing a writing project and you're having trouble writing with this project, you're probably going to have problems writing, you know, for the next project, too. But we don't, I think, have that project parity assumption to assume that whatever I'm sort of working through now is going to show up over there. Right Um, now. I'm a huge fan of starting a project and seeing that you started it for the wrong reasons and that it's no longer relevant. You got inspired by the podcast du jour and you start doing it and you're like, actually, I really don't like this. This is really not in accordance with my values or strategies or anything that I want to do. I just fundamentally don't want to do that. Of course, drop that project if you're really finding that it's not taking you where you want to go and you're not learning something good and you're not enjoying it. Like, let it go. You don't have to finish everything you start. But if it sort of satisfies those three things, it's like important for where you're trying to go. It's teaching you something you need to learn and or you're enjoying the process as you go. Just abandoning and jumping to the next project um, can be really perilous because I want to talk about this real quick and then we'll jump to another question. What, what we under underappreciate is that mastery comes from finishing projects, right? You don't get better at whatever you're doing by half finishing a bunch of stuff. You get Well, you can get a little bit better. But really to see the, what I like to call sort of like the kinesthetic feedback from the world once you finish a project and put it out there and you get the feedback, it did what it was supposed to do. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. It delivered delights. People didn't like it. Whatever it is, that's where we get mastery from and that's where we get better. Um, And so that's where I get super worried about projects that we continually don't finish is that we're not really getting that mastery. And some of us have the tendency to start telling ourselves terrible stories about ourselves, like we're not finishers or, you know, we don't have it cut out to do this type of work or, man, I start things, but I I just can't see them through. Like you take that emotional and psychological debt with you into further projects. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? 
I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation to talk about our sponsors for a moment. And I want to tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down to read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. Well, there's an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people, like business leaders, are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you and like me, who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. When I'm in my learning mode, which is part of what I do every week, I really want to use Blinkist. I actually have it as a recurring task in my to-do list app to read a Blink or listen to a Blink at least once a day. I'm I'm just a huge fan, and, and I think that you should jump all over it. I just don't think I know it. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Just go to Blinkist.com slash timecrafting and you can try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's 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 crazy. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash timecrafting to start your free seven-day trial. And don't forget, you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash timecrafting. Check out what Blinkist has to offer today. The UCI Division of Continuing Education provides learning pathways for those seeking career advancement or personal enrichment through a wide range of educational opportunities, including certificate and specialized studies programs, short courses, and strategic partnerships. 
100% online courses offer convenience and flexibility, which you know I'm big on, and a real immersive online classroom experience, even collaboration with your peers. There are courses and certifications taught by industry practitioners in a wide range of categories, from business and leadership to tech, project management, law, engineering, human resources, and over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs on campus and online designed for the working professional. Fall quarter is coming up and registration is now open. Visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter time crafting for 15% off of one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and enter time crafting to get that 15% discount off of one course. Now this offer is only valid until December 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Make sure you check out what the UCI Division of Continuing Education has to offer. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, so I want to get to, uh, I want to circle back to mm-hmm. the very beginning when I said that this book, it's been, it's been a long time coming. So a lot of people will think, just because of what we do, that, well, these guys probably don't struggle with this stuff nearly as much as I do. How, what was, how, how did that process go for you? The thrashing, all that stuff when it came to this particular book, because you and I have talked about this, about books, both of our books, like both of these kind of things. And we, it's not like we don't have other things going on and there's lots of irons in the fire. We have plenty of projects. We're not immune to this. So I want to give a real world example before we get close to wrapping up and give some tactics that people can actually use what was the process like for you putting this book together so that people can, so we can kind of humanize this for them a little bit as well. Great. So a couple of points of context here. One midway through the writing process, I ended up with a health thing. I'm not going to go into it. That really, um, that really sapped about two, two and a half hours of my day, just recovering from that. Um, And, yeah, two, that's human. Two, two and a half hours of a day of your focused time or your fo- what I call focus blocks taken away from a writer does not help him meet his deadlines, right? No, because uh, there's also there's also the buffer and the margin around that. Because again, productivity guilt shows up. You have to work your momentum back up. So it, it's not just that. It's the time around that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, it all came up. You know, there the head trash that comes up is it's a term I use for just the stories we tell ourselves, right? Am I good enough? Is anyone going to care? Um, why does this actually matter? You know, that came up for me almost every day. Right. Um, and I'm super connected to, you know, my colleagues like Mike and James clear and, you know, um, Srini Rao produced a book during this period, like everyone. Yep. And a, a right. lot of people come in this book, too, that you've got some of the contributions in the book, like Seth Godin writing yeah. like constantly. And it seems like he comes out with a book every three months. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. And so um, and so I'm like, wow, James produced a new book. Joshua, that new book is great. You know, Srini got has a new book. And does this book even matter? Like, who cares? So that sort of that, that's a daily battle. And so. I knew um, because this has been a 12 year process and this is not my first book and it's not the first time I've tried to go about writing a productivity book. Um, I was like, I have to build so many structures in place because left to my own devices, this book is not going to get done. And um, there is someone we both know. I won't name this person because I don't want to feel like I'm shaming them, but 
in the mid 2000s, they started writing a book and never finished. Right. And they were a productivity person um, and wrote several posts over the course of years. And I looked at them. I'm like, man, just I love that person. They were a major contributor to my work, but like they lost a lot of credibility by not being able to finish the book. Right. And it never did. Right. Just fizzled. Right. Um, um, Mike knows who I'm talking about, I believe. Um, and so I was like, don't be that. Like, don't do that. <laughs> You spent the last decade doing this work, building this trust, building this rapport. Don't be that person. Be better than that, right? Um, and I've, I have joked that like, if you want to create a project that will just give you a great tool for masochism, like write a book on writing, write a book on productivity, or write a memoir, right? Those three types, because on book on writing, like everyone is going to look at your writing as the example of what you're teaching. If it's on productivity, if you miss a deadline, if you miss, you know, if, if your launch is off, like the stories you'll tell yourself, like, this is what I teach. I have to do it. Right. Um, and then memoirs are just, I'm not even going to go there, man, telling your own story in public and things like that. But, um, so I knew all of that head trash and, and to be honest, like, um, and I could say this cause it, it, it doesn't, it's not disrespectful right as we were going to market. I think I told you this, Mike, right as we were going to market, John A. Kef came out with the book finish. We talked about that. Right. And so in case you're missing this, you know, the name of my book is start finishing. This project has always been start finishing. And so right as I'm going to market, John A. Kef is published by the publisher. I was going to like, I had been working with to do this project. Um, and I was like, oh man, like, why do I need to write the book again? Like, who cares? Like he's, he's written it. But this time, um, and this is not disrespect to Cal Newport either, but like, I was like, I'm not getting deep worked again because back in, because back in, back before deep work, I think deep work hit us both, Mike, where like deep work came out and he was like, well, there, there goes a good bit of my work. I, I mean, we talk about attention and focusing time. Um, and so I was like, no, that happened when we deep work. And it took me like three years to be like, okay, I got something to say. But when Finish came out, I was like, Finish, Johnny Cup's Finish. I was like, you know what? No, not getting deep worked again. Two, I know this work is going to be unique and original um, because it's um, because its author is. And I've got something to say. And plus, people keep asking me to write this damn book. So I don't care what, <laughs> what John did. Like, people keep asking me to write a book on this. So I'm going to write the damn book on that. But as far as structures, and this may go into the how-to, I knew all of that was in play. And so I set up the relationship with my editor. Haven is a wonderful editor. I'm just going to say that. I said, look, from the beginning, once a month, I'm going to show, I'm going to, you know, I borrowed um, Austin Cleon's show your work um, principle. And I was like, once a month, I'm going to send you whatever I've written for the month. Right? If it's three words, you get three words. If it's a chapter, two chapters, you get two chapters. But on the second Wednesday of every month, it started out as the second Tuesday, but then I realized I needed to be Wednesday because I... I would always steal another writing day. But second Wednesday of every month, I'm going to send you whatever I've written that month. Because I don't want to be the author that shows up a month before deadline, either not having written or not having showed his editor enough to, for, that, for, her, for his editor to be like, yeah, this, this isn't really the direction where we're going to go. And also because I knew on that second Wednesday, I needed to be accountable. Like, I, you know, I, I got a really great advance for this. And as soon as I did, there's this mental switch that happened for me. Mike, I was like, wait a second. And I know I've been writing for years. Here's the, here's the irony, Mike. I've been writing for years. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh, crap. Like, writing for free, for free, for free. I've been writing for free. Um, all of a sudden, I was like, 
oh, crap, this is my job. I would never take a job and talk to my boss and, you know, it was like, what have you done today? Nothing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, right? I wouldn't take the paycheck and not do the work. And so I'm like, I took the paycheck. I got to do the work. This is my job now, right? Um, and it was really helpful for me because, like, when I had to make choices and prioritizing on a day, which we all have those choices, I was like, well, you know, when you are writing for free, when you're writing as a support of your job, it's easy to make the cut to being like, ah, I got all this other stuff to do today. I don't really need to write today. But when it's your primary job, it's like, well, all that other stuff has got to figure out how that's going to happen because this is my job, right? That I am a writer. Um, so that's why I set up that rhythm with Haven so that she's seeing it. And like, when I ever had that doubt, I would go back to one of her previous responses, you know, to the last thing I sent, which is usually like, this is great. I'm loving it. Keep going. Like I'm really loving how this is coming together. And it was just this sort of thing of like, every time that head trash would come up, I would say, you know what? Every single show your work drop that I've sent to Haven this far, she said, it's good. It's on track. Keep giving, keep doing it. I'm doing the same thing I've been doing the whole time. <laughs> so if I keep doing the same thing I've been doing and I've gotten that outcome, all this head trash, all this fear, all this doubt, all this flailing that I'm doing, it's a part of the process. But fundamentally, if I'm doing X and getting Y response, my only job is to keep doing X to get Y response, right? That's all that matters in the end, right? Um, and so while I had a lot of support and while I, you know, a lot of that big picture vision and principle stuff that we, that we like to talk about at the high level of productivity at a certain point, it came down to micro taxes, get up. Like seriously, Mike, I had, if I, I had a routine, cold start routine, I printed it out. If I skipped more than three days of writing, I would walk down to the coffee shop, pull out the printout of my cold start routine and start working down the steps. And it was literally order coffee get the Wi-Fi password uh, before you sit down, get out your writing log, review your last writing thing, write for 15 minutes, then see what you're going to do next. It was literally following those steps because it reliably produced the outcome, right? And so um, I think when we go through projects like this, man, if you're just trying to rely on grit and you're just trying to rely on passion, it's going to be a hard road to go. Well, because that's emotional. A lot of that's emotional and you need to have something that is, uh, it's got some logic and reason attached to it. If you go in by pure emotion, then you're good. Then the threat, then the fear, the thrash, all that stuff's going to happen because it's, you know, it, it you've opened your door to it. Right. Whereas yeah. if it's like, here are the steps, the like all, here it is. I'm just going to, that's why the whole making the bed principle works, right? You make your bed first thing in the morning. It's like, okay, I did that. Now what's next? Now you're building upon that. But yeah, as soon as you throw, I mean, uh, one of the things I'm talking about now is like the idea of, of the, 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 having this harmony between, um, harmony or harmony between, uh, emotion and logic, like reason, like just, it doesn't have to be, if you're too overly logical, then, then you're going to, you don't leave any room for the human component to show up. But if you're too yeah. emotional, then you're just going to be going willy nilly without any kind of, you gotta, gotta find that harmony yeah. and, and do some reasonable things that'll work for you. That's I think the key. Yeah. And, and to your point on that, I, I talked about the hard side of things again, going back to Haven, which again, Haven is amazing. Um, you can do this with any writing partner. She just happened to be a great writing partner. But like whenever I would get stuck, I would be like, just write to Haven. Just like you're not writing for everyone. You're not writing just write to Haven. If you can't figure out who you're writing, because she's one, she was my audience. 
Right. So just write to that person. But there's sometimes it's like, no, I'm writing, a, I'm writing to Mike Vardy on this one. Like I'm writing two and four Mike Vardy on this one. Okay. Like that's how I'm going to approach it. Still me, still the same concept, but find in, and it's not just to overcome the fear, but it's imagining the why going back to the why I'm writing this for Haven to make, because she is legitimately going through some things that this book was helping her with. I'm writing this for Mike because I'm imagining what Mike is going through. And this is going to be something that helps Mike. Right. And so it, if you don't have enough sort of those positive emotions to buoy you, it doesn't take so much of the negative emotions to drag you down to the bottom. And so you just have to be strategic about it. Yeah. Have those common, have that combination there so that emotion, because if it's pure emotion, the negative ones are going to show up. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, that's a lot of stuff that we've given people to, to try in terms of tactics. We're going to wrap up now, Charlie. But uh, I want to say before people, I mean, I've had John on the show. I've had, you know, obviously I've talked to you a few times, th- both books, Complete, like you said, different, different takes. Uh, both are great. Uh, I love this because you and I, I mean, we've been friends for years now and there's lots of stuff in here that if you, if you've been following my work for years, which if you're listening to this podcast, you might've, um, and, and if not, you're, you're, you're liking what I'm doing this when we're doing stuff, we do stuff a lot together. You and I, so there's a nice companion to it. And also, you know, like you said, I make a little appearance in this book. I'm not going to say what page, um, but you, but you'll have to go through the whole book to get there. So there you go. Not the whole book. I mean, they have to go through seven chapters before they get to yours. Yes. So, well, no, now you've told them they'll skip to chapter but eight. Tell page. That's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie, uh, where can people pick up the book? Start finishing how to go from idea to done. You can pick up start finishing from any um, bookseller that you, online. You can walk into a bookstore. They should have it. Um, if you want more information, see who's liked the book, maybe some more more of the table of contents, go to startfinishingbook.com and you'll be able to get more information there, but also see all of the available retailers. What I also want to add in, if you are international, we've got you hooked up because you can buy your books international from Book Depository and it will still get to you. So we haven't forgot about you. Charlie, as always, a pleasure. Thanks again for joining me on the Productivities Podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks to Charlie for joining me on the show. And I, I, I want to dive into a new segment that I've put together because I do think that when it comes to podcasts, there's such a wide variety out there that having the ability to get recommendations from those who are listening to podcasts and making podcasts, I think is a good, good, good idea. And besides, I used to do segments on my old shows all the time. So this is something a little new I'm going to try. I want to share with you a podcast that I listen to that I really, really enjoy. I'm looking through my overcast queue right now. And one of the podcasts that I've spent more time listening to recently than, than any other um, and I did this on a road trip specifically was the moment with Brian Koppelman. Um, you know, I really enjoyed his conversation. Uh, there's a, let's take a look a couple of the episodes here. His conversation with Stephen Pressfield was great. I'm a pro wrestling fan too. So his conversation with Becky Lynch was great too. He's talked to Cal Newport, who's also been on the show. Just really like his demeanor and the way he, the way he, uh, carries on uh, a conversation with someone. So I want you to check out the moment by Brian Koppelman. It's a great show. Uh, again, it's not necessarily entirely in the space of personal productivity and time management, but it does have, I mean, again, Cal's been on the show, uh, Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin. There's lots of people have been on the show, a great group of guests, both well-known and, and not so well-known. I recommend you check it out the moment with Brian Koppelman. That's my productivity podcast pick of the week. And that's it for this episode of the productivity podcast. Big thanks to Charlie Gilkey for joining me on the show this week. Of course, if you want to look at all the show notes, pick up the book, everything, go to productivityist.com slash podcast 262. 
and that'll take you there. That'll take care of you. So again, productivityist.com slash podcast 262 is what you want to look at. And that's going to put you in the right place to check out all the things that Charlie and I've talked about. If you liked the podcast, I've experimented a little bit on this episode. You'll notice that there were some sponsors and I'd like to thank those sponsors, but all of those sponsors were put in one segment in the show. I listened to the feedback from my listeners and the majority said, hey, put them all in one place because uh, the flow of the conversation uh, is going to be much better. And I couldn't agree more. So thanks to uh, those who chimed in. See, I do look at the ratings and reviews and comments. Uh, so if you are so inclined and you have some time, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts. I do read them and I will act on them as I have with this particular episode in terms of making some changes. So, uh, and I'd love to get some feedback from you as well. If you want to send me an email about the podcast and say, hey, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, I'm producing the show now. It's, it's me with my Roadcaster Pro and, uh, you know, all the stuff is happening from, from me at this point. So if you want to give me some feedback directly, podcast at productivityist.com will get you there. I'd love to hear from you. And, and if you, if you, you know, whether it's sponsorship opportunities, whether it's just give me general feedback, whatever, that is the email address you want to send it to podcast at productivityist.com. I'd love to hear from you. So again, thanks to, for listening today. Thanks to Charlie for joining me on the show. That's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.